0: All right, you know, in the book of Daniel, Daniel is giving a, given a vision of the end times. And at the end of the book, it says there will be a great increase of knowledge at the end of time. Now, to give you perspective, in the 1800s, they were saying everything that's ever been invented has already been invented. Just think about that. Now, it's only been, if you're keeping score, 126 years since the Wright brothers flew a little plane out on Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. And now we fly all over the world and think nothing about it. We fly over the Atlantic 10 hours, 12 hours, 16 hours. It's only been 123 years. Technology has exploded. Daniel was so scared by the vision. Of what he saw that was happening at the end of times that had said he shook and went like into a coma. And God told Daniel, close up the book. Close up the book, Daniel, because it's this is not for your time. You will go to your fathers in peace. But it's coming for another time. Well, guess whose time it is. We're standing right in the middle of that. And so just I just want you to know that we're standing at the end of history. I don't know when Jesus is coming back, but it's soon. And so I got to thinking about all the technology. And uh, I mean, you, you have to admit, everybody loves their, whether it's an iPhone or an Android. I mean, when you've got more power in your pocket than NASA had 50 years ago. That tells you something about where technology's heading isn't it, and i 'll tell you my favorite my the favorite thing I have the favorite piece of technology is texting because i don 't have to talk to people it 's wonderful how many of you how many of you like texting yeah there's no emotions you don't nobody has to second guess I wonder what he meant, but his, his, he just i don 't know he didn 't sound right no you just here it is, and if you start to say it and it doesn 't come out right, you just move it back. You can't do that when you bring words. And I can talk to 300 of you at the same time. And if you don't want to talk to me, you block me. It's a great system. It's It's just a great system. But I think maybe of all the technology, I, I have to tell you, my favorite, my favorite is the whiteboard. I mean, how many of you grew up with chalkboards? And you had to clean them and there was dust everywhere and you had to spray them down. I'll tell you what, the whiteboard is by far the most remarkable thing out there. Is everybody there? Everybody get there? You guys scare me. I know it's early. I know it's early. All right, so we're in Genesis 31. So Pastor Cord did an amazing job of explaining (laughs) the dysfunction of Jacob. So we've had the Messiah's line coming from Abraham. God's gonna bless the world. Uh, All the people of the world are gonna be blessed through Abraham. Same thing to Isaac, same thing to Jacob. And we, we watch it slowly develop. And then we get to Jacob and Jacob's gonna blow up the ship. Jacob goes up to Turkey, and he intends to marry Rachel, and his father-in-law slips in Leah because she's the firstborn. And you have to understand, if weddings were done differently, he would not have seen the girl at the wedding. They go from the wedding into the wedding tent, and uh, he wakes up in the morning, and it's Leah, not Rachel. And uh, to say the least, Jacob's a little angry because he's worked seven years for the right to marry Rachel, and so Laban says, "Well, I'll tell you what, um, fill out this week—the wedding week—with Leah, and then you can marry Rachel. But you have to work for me another seven years. Now, guys, you want to talk about love? Fourteen years. And when Rachel dies, giving birth to the, her second son much later in the story, his name is Benjamin. Uh, she'll have Joseph and Benjamin. Um, he'll never get over that because his love was Rachel." But he's so dysfunctional, there's four wives he ends up with, and there's kids everywhere, and you can imagine the mess that's about to ensue. But what I want you to see, and and what Pastor Cord did such a good job of showing you, that even in the line of Jesus, because the line of Jesus comes through Leah, because the firstborn child of Jacob is named Judah, and Judah is the one in the line of Jesus. Even though it's a mess. This whole story is a mess. And from Jacob on, it's just going to get worse. You're going to see dysfunction upon dysfunction. Now, I know none of us can relate to dysfunctional families. And some of you are here, you're thinking, man, those Christians, they they got it together. All I can tell you is don't let your purse get too far away from you. All right? Just keep an eye on it. Listen, we are all broken people. And from Abraham, from Adam... All the way up to Jesus, all flawed, broken, dysfunctional families. From Jesus on, guess what we have? All flawed, broken, dysfunctional families. Only one perfect story. His name is Jesus. And Jesus was God in the flesh. He came to die for us and to save us. And if you haven't accepted him, you hit that button. I've decided online, if you're up here, you come up front and we'll be happy to help you. Last night, the young man came up sobbing and he said, I don't know what I need, but I need to be saved. And before the night was over, before the night was over, he was led to Jesus, accepted Jesus, and we baptized him right here last night. It was great great, great moment. So maybe, maybe you're next. Maybe you're watching online and and you're next. I I don't know. But the point of the story is that we're all dysfunctional. We're all messed up. And God chooses to write his story through us broken people. And aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that that's what, how God does it? Because that's really the only paper he's got to write on is all of us broken people so here's the kind of the core of the story so 14 years he does serve for rachel guys what a love story that is but throughout that time jacob has flocks and laban his uncle the the father of rachel and leah has his flocks and laban keeps cheating he says i'll tell you what if the if the animals are streaked you can have them And then he says, "No, if they're white, you can have them." And every time Laban tries to cheat him, God flips the script. God turns it around so that all the blessing comes to Jacob. So I get it. Some of you are thinking, "Man, I've had my husband's cheating, my wife's cheated me, my, my boss has cheated me." Don't discount the fact that God sees what's going on, and God can be blessing and working in your life in ways. You can't imagine. So here's the story. If you'll stand with me, out of respect for God's word, it's a little bit long. I'll read fast; you listen quick. <laughs> Jacob, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying. Because you have to understand, Laban's sons are supposed to inherit everything, and through the transfer of the of the the, the sheep and the goats be, becoming Jacob's. Daddy goes from being really rich to being really poor. And Rachel and Leah's brothers are the ones that are going to lose out. So he says, their sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything that our father owned. He's gained all this wealth from what belonged to our father. And Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Then the Lord said to Jacob, go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. So Jacob went, sent word to Rachel and Leah to come out of the fields where his flocks were. He said to them, I see that your father's attitude toward me is not what it was before, but the God of my fathers has been with me. You know that I've worked for your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me by changing my wages 10 times. However, God has not allowed him to harm me. So apparently... Laban had intended to kill Jacob. If he said the speckled ones will be your wages, then all the flocks gave birth to speckled young. If he said the streaked ones will be your wages, then all the flocks bore streaked young. So God has taken away your father's livestock and has given them to me. In breeding season, I once had a dream in which I looked up and saw that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, or spotted. The angel of God said to me in a dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. He said, look up and see that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled or spotted. For I have seen all that Laban has been doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, that's Jerusalem, where you anointed a pillar and where you make a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. Then Rachel and Leah replied, do we still have any share in the inheritance of our father's estate? Does he not regard us as foreigners? Daddy's going kind to of cut them off. Not only has he sold us, but he's used up what was paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God took away from our father belongs to us and our children. So do whatever God has told you. Then Jacob put his children and his wives on camels. And he drove all of his livestock ahead of him, along with all of the goods that he'd accumulated, to northern Jordan, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. When Laban had gone to shear his sheep, Rachel stole his father's household gods. That'll be a problem later. Moreover, Jacob deceived Laban by not telling him he was running away. So he fled with all he had, and crossing the river, he headed for the hill country, of Gilead you can be seated alright so to give you geography he's in central turkey today and he's got to get across the river into northern Jordan now most of Jordan is either steppe or desert it's very very dry very uh, deserted the whole the whole place except the very northern part of Jordan which is mountains maybe you've heard of the balm of Gilead that's where they grew spices and aromatic things and they actually made healing ointments and, and other things up there. But that's where he's trying to get to, the land of, of Gilead, the northern part of Jordan. And he's gotta get across the river to get there. And then from Jordan, he can come back down into Israel. But the story starts off with a whole lot of information about goats that you never knew you needed, right? All right. But through, through this period of 14 years, Laban keeps trying to cheat Jacob And every time he does God flips the script And makes sure that the sheep Whatever he says Jacob's wages are God makes sure that they That's the that's the way they're born You want to know if God's in charge of the birthing process there, There's a pretty good picture for you um, But Jesus picks up on this theme In Matthew 25 Now you can read It's a very long chapter But here's the summation of it Jesus says, uh, makes, makes a statement, but both sides ask the same question. You've got the goats and the sheep. And then Jesus said to the goats, get away from me. I never knew you and they're cast into hell forever. The sheep are welcomed into heaven. And it's based on how they handled a certain situation. And they all asked these questions. Jesus, when did we see you hungry and feed you? And Jesus said, when you did it to the least of them, you did it to me. Jesus, when did we see you needing water and give it to you? Or not give it to you in case of the goats. When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. Jesus, when did we see you naked and not give you clothes? When you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. When did we see you in jail and not visit you? When you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he divided them up and he said, those of you who did nothing... You go to hell, and the other group went to heaven. And you're saying, "No, wait a minute, wait a minute. Isn't that a works theology? No. We're saved by grace, through faith, through what Jesus did on the cross, right? It's the blood of Jesus that saves all of us. We're all dysfunctional. And, again, our world, even totally non-believing pagans, would say... I'm going to go to heaven because I gave food to a food pantry or I gave food to a dog shelter or whatever. They think they've done some good works and that's going to get them there. That No. Well, then what's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, I can tell who does follow me and believe in me by their actions. It's not the actions that save them. But Jesus said, I can tell who are my people by how they act. So James, chapter 1, Jesus' half-brother, James said, faith without works is is dead. And he said in chapter 2, he said, you show me your faith by what you don't do, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. Well, what do we do? Well, the church shares our faith, the church plants churches, the church feeds hungry people. Uh, the church sponsors children to buy clothes and school, school supplies and keep them out of gangs and to keep them from getting raped. That's all the kind of stuff a church ought to do. Wouldn't you agree with that? All right. So Jesus sorts people out by what they do, but what we do is a direct result of what we believe. And who we are. I'm a follower of Jesus. And followers of Jesus do this. Matthew 25. You can bring it up. All the nations will be gathered before him. And he will separate the people from one another. As a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right. And the goats on the left. And then we talk about thieves. Everybody in the story is the thief. Rachel's going to steal the household gods. This is, this is a nightmare for another day. Laban has stolen and cheated Jacob at every turn. Jacob's going to steal out of town, even though God has told him to go. Uh, he's going to steal out of town. Jacob's name means deceiver. So everybody in this story is messed up. All right. I just want you to, to understand that concept. But the whole idea is that even when Jacob knew he was being stolen from over and over again over a 14 year period, God was still at work. And when the story ended, Jacob ended up with everything and Laban lost everything. Now, sometimes in this world we say, My gosh, look at that. That guy's a drug dealer, he's a pedophile, he's a murderer. They're a liar, they're stealing all this, and they've got all of this. Guys, don't you understand when the story's over? The the questions asked all the time, how much did he leave? And the answer is always the same. All of it. All of it. Nothing in this world's going with you. And Jesus again picks up on this theme when he talks about Satan. He said Satan came with one purpose to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And then if you don't understand that, you're never going to win this Christian life. And Satan doesn't care how he destroys your soul, how he destroys your marriage, how he destroys your children, so long as he does. The thief comes, John 10, 10. The thief comes only. Notice that word, only. He didn't come so he could party with you. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I've come that you may have life, And have it to the full. So the ultimate thief is Satan. That's what he does. He comes in. He doesn't care whether he steals your soul through alcohol, through drugs, through fentanyl, through pornography, through an affair. He doesn't care how he destroys your life and your soul so long as he does. And people have this idea, well, I'm going to go to hell and party with Satan. It doesn't work that way. You know, Jesus talked 10 times more about hell than he did about heaven. Because heaven was God's plan. Jesus came to warn us how not to go to hell. That's why Jesus came. But Jesus isn't done yet. Look at this. John 8, 44. Now Jesus is talking to the most spiritual people on earth, according to them. All right, These are the Pharisees. All their robes, all the power, all the position, finest houses. They own everything. These are surely the men. And... For the people that say, "Oh, Jesus is just all love; he loves everybody. There's no judgment." Now pay attention. He says to it'd be like lining up every preacher and priest in the United States, and Jesus looks in the, looks us in the eye and says, "This: you belong to your father, the devil." Methodist pastors, Christian pastors, Baptist pastors, Lutheran pastors, Catholic priests—you belong to the devil. Wow. And you want to carry out your father's desires. And he was a murderer from the beginning. Not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you don't believe me. 1960s, the KGB did an experiment. And you can look it up. But they found out that if you bombard people with a lie long enough when you go to actually tell them the truth they won't even consider it. Now the Russian government's been pretty powerful in how they pulled that off. And we find ourselves in that spot today don't we? When it comes to marriage defining a man defining a woman evolution you you take whichever road you would like to go down and that's exactly what you see. And one of my friends of mine called called me this week and he said, Joe, I got a story for you. I said, well, I'll tell it. Just give me the story. Um, he said, well, we're trying to implement some of the principles in your book. My book that I wrote about, about missions in the church. And he said, so we're, we're being more mission focused. And he said, both locally and globally. And he said, we had a tornado come through our town. He's up in Illinois. And he said, I'm working with a family that lost everything the night before. They lost their house. They lost all their clothes. Uh, only thing they had was their car, and they had no gas for that. And he said, I'm at the gas station getting gas in their car, and we're going to get them some food. And he said, a lady in my church, so there's bonus that it's a lady, a lady in my church sees me, comes up to the gas pump, and proceeds to cuss me out. Now I've known I've known my friend for a long time, so I said, "Well, that doesn't surprise me that somebody would come up and cuss you out." Um, and I said, "But pray tell, why?" And she said, "She said I can't believe that we're spending all this money helping other people, and I can't believe we're giving all this money to missions when the grass in our church is brown." I am embarrassed, and a lot of other people in our church are embarrassed too. Using expletives at him while he's trying to help this family and tell them about Jesus. And I told my friend, I said, well, obviously you've missed the mark. The goal of every church is to have green grass. <laughs> but do you see how easily, how easily people get off track? If somebody's not constantly saying, hey, guys, the church does two things. We worship Jesus. And we help other people come to know Jesus. And we feed people and we and we clothe people and we meet people's needs and we keep talking about Jesus. But the church has really only two functions. To worship Jesus and to bring in the rest of the world that doesn't know him yet so they can worship Jesus. That's our purpose, right? But we live in a world. Now think about this. This started in 1962, I think. Year before I was born, we took prayer out of the schools. We took Jesus out of the schools. We took Bible reading out of the schools. We took the Pledge of Allegiance out of the school. Uh, we took uh, the Ten Commandments out of the school. Uh, we took down Lincoln and Washington's uh, paintings. That's just, that doesn't really matter, but I'm just throwing this all in. So here today, that's all banned, but this is a right. You see how that happened? In 60 years. In 60 years, the script got flipped. Because what does Satan do? He kills, steals, and destroys. Well, let's get to the victory real quick. All right, it's not a full victory because the story's long from over. But for the moment, Jacob has to get across the river. He knows that he's got to get Rachel, Leah, his grandkids, or his, his uh, yeah, his children, and all the, the flock, he's got to get them across the river. Now, you need to understand, you don't, You don't move sheep in a hurry, all right? This is not like a fast-paced car scene. This is a slow-motion action taking place because we're moving children and sheep and all the goods. But Jacob knows he's got to get across that river into Jordan. He's got to finally leave the past in the past. He's got to leave Laban in the past, his anger toward Laban, his bitterness toward Laban, his sin that he's had back. He's got to leave all that in the past. And I wonder if that's not where some of us are. You still carrying some of that with you? From your ex-wife, your ex-husband, your ex-boss, your mom, your dad. I'm not even saying you don't have every right. Jacob had every right to be angry. Ten times he got cheated in 14 years. Every right to be angry, but at a certain point, do you say, you know what? I'm going to leave all that on the other side of the river. If you're not a Christian yet, that's the place to start. I got to accept Jesus. If you are a Christian, sometimes you've got to really do it. You know what? These old habits, these addictions, this life, this unforgiveness, this bitterness, this hatred, I got to leave it on the other side of the river and I, and I got to go over here. I don't know where you're at. I don't know if for you it's a sheep and goat issue. I don't know if for you if it's dealing with thieves, you stealing, somebody stealing from you. I don't know where you're at in the story, but I know this, the victory is ours because of Jesus. You see, the world, the world will never get it. And you can argue with me if you want, nobody's a bigger Indiana Jones fan than I am. I watched clips every single day, I've not seen the new movie yet. Do not tell me about it. I am very excited about it. My life just has not allowed yet. Um, but Harrison Ford is not a believer. In uh, eighty-one years old, and Harrison Ford said recently at a, the screening of the movie in in France, he said um, he said came out to all the fans and he said thank you. You guys have given my life purpose. Now. I don't know if he knows this or not, but Indiana Jones is not real. I know Indiana Jones is not real. Do I love it? Yes, but I know it's not real. If you talk to college kids today, and I've watched these interviews all over the internet, the kids will say, we have no purpose. There is no purpose in this world. You have to create your own purpose in this world. No, no. Jesus died to give you a purpose. See, what they're actually espousing, they don't know it, but what they're espousing is 17th century atheism from France. They just don't realize what they're doing. But Jesus came to give us life.